Please turn with me, congregation, your Bibles this morning to the Gospel according to John, John chapter 1, page 1127, in the Adoration Bibles, 1127. As we look to embark upon a new series of this Gospel, we do well to, to study this Gospel in light of what John says in John chapter 20. In that chapter, he gives us the the purpose, the reason for why he's written this gospel, namely, that you may believe in Jesus the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. For that reason, John writes these words, the first five verses of John chapter 1, our text for this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So far, God's holy word may bless that to us, as we meditate upon it this morning. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are confronted in our text this morning with the majestic Christ. Here in the first five verses of this glorious prologue, we're confronted with the majestic Christ of Christmas. The reason I say majestic is because in these opening verses of the gospel account, John takes us behind the curtain of this world, as it were, to see Christ for who he really is. To see Christ for who he always has been and for, he, and for who he always will be, the eternal one. The transcendent Lord of glory, who from before the foundation of the world was indeed God of God, light of light, very God of very God. When you compare and contrast the four Gospels with one another, you'll discover that each Gospel writer, inspired by the Spirit of Christ, presents the person of Christ with his own emphases. Matthew, for example, emphasizes Christ's kingship. He opens his Gospel account by tracing the birth of Christ all the way back to King David, to the man after God's own heart, to whom God had said, when your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and establish a kingdom and a throne that shall be forever and ever. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark gives greater emphasis to Christ's power, to his power to conquer Satan, to cast out demons and to heal the sick. All these things we find happening in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Christ, this mighty conqueror, come to overcome the temptations of Satan, able to defeat and destroy all our spiritual enemies. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll find a greater emphasis on the wonder that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of promise. How in the fullness of time, God finally sent his Son into the world. And so the first story you read in that gospel is that of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and God speaking to this couple and to all of Israel and their barrenness and their spiritual barrenness and emptiness to say, the time has finally come. I give you a son, John, whose name means the Lord is gracious. 
And he will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He will go before the Messiah and say, the time is at hand. He is come. But John does something different, doesn't he? He doesn't open with a story or with a, a royal genealogy going back to David. But rather, he takes us behind the curtain, as it were, to a time before the world ever was to show us something wonderful and glorious. Rather than starting somewhere in the course of human history, John instead endeavors to, to reveal to us the glorious message that God's plan to save sinners goes a long ways back, that it harkens to a time before King David and to a time before Father Abraham, that God's plan of salvation harkens back to a time even before Adam and Eve were in the garden to show us that our salvation harkens all the way back to the love of God from eternity. And so, says William Hendrickson, the Gospel of John opens magnificently. It begins by portraying the life of Christ in eternity before the world was. That life was rich and glorious and filled with infinite delight and serene blessedness in the presence of the Father. Once this truth is grasped, Only then can the condescending love of Christ in becoming flesh be appreciated more fully. That's our goal this morning. Congregation, that needs to be our chief aim as a church, as families, as individual persons this Christmas season to appreciate more fully the condescending love of Christ. By the Spirit of Christ, that's John's intention for those of us who who are older and mature in the faith, as well as for those of us who are still young and and immature in the faith. Boys and girls, even as you look forward to opening the gifts, the presents under the Christmas tree, God wants you to see that he has provided a far greater gift, a far greater present, a most precious present in the Lord Jesus Christ. The serious student of the Gospel of John says, R. Kent Hughes will find that each time he or she returns to this Gospel, they will find Christ become a little bigger. He reminded me of Lucy's experience with Aslan, the Chronicles of Narnia. She begins to, to gaze into his big, large, wise lion face. Having welcomed her into his presence, she marvels, saying, Aslan, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are, she said. No, said Aslan, not because I am bigger, but the more you grow, the bigger you will find me to be. As we work our way through this gospel, I hope that we too have a similar experience, that the more we learn of Christ, the bigger and bigger he will become. That the more we learn of Christ, of who he is and and what he has done, the, the more precious he will become to us. And that begins here in these first five verses. So let's expand our vision and conception of Christ this morning by asking ourselves the question, who is this, the Christ of Christmas? Who is the Christ of Christmas? And let us answer in faith by saying he is the majestic Christ. He is the majestic Christ who from before the foundation of the world was was clothed in transcendent glory but laid it all aside for sinners. 
This morning, John takes us behind the curtain, so to speak, to show us this, the majestic Christ of Christmas, to show us Christ's majesty from all eternity, to show us Christ's majesty at creation, and to show us Christ's majesty even after the fall, how his majesty continues to shine forth even in a dark world like this one. We notice, people of God, how John brings this majestic Christ into view by, by taking us back to the beginning. In the beginning, he says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, was, he was with God. John echoes those familiar words from the Genesis story, from the first book of beginnings, where the earth was form and, and void, where darkness was over the face of the deep, and where the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And John tells that already there, Christ was active. Because Christ, who is the Word, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Spirit of Christ, you see, is summoning us this morning to, to see beyond this sentimentality and, and the romanticized views of the world where people like to, to dress up the baby Jesus as they see fit and, and to put them in their front yard in the nativity scene. The Spirit of Christ summons us to see his majesty. That the innocent baby lying in the manger is none other than the eternal Lord of glory who demands our worship and our praise. To see that he isn't just some plaything, but that he is the Holy One, eternally begotten of the Father before all worlds. Without apology or qualification, John takes us to a time long before Bethlehem, indeed, beyond the beginnings of the world itself. And it gives us a glorious glimpse of the glorious person who has an eternal existence. Is this how we see Christ this morning, people of God? When you think of Christ, your minds begin to go here with, with his glory, with his majesty, which demands our worship and praise. It is, of course, good and and great for us to, to get swept up again and again in our favorite Christmas story of Jesus being born in the manger. It's good that we should consider his being born in Bethlehem and that our children too learn to, to love and to embrace that story in faith. But as A.W. Pink once wrote, the one who was heralded by the angels, the one who walked on the earth for 33 years, who was crucified at Calvary, and who rose in triumph from the grave and who for 40 days departed from these scenes was none other than the majestic Lord of glory. And John describes this majestic Christ of Christmas as the Word of God, who is eternally with God, who was in the beginning with God and who was God. As you know, words really serve to do two things, really, don't they? Words serve to, to express the inner thought and, and to reveal those words to others. And Christ does both. That's what Christ does. This is, what, this is who Christ is. As the majestic Christ, as very person, he is God's glorious communication to sinners. Christ, as the eternal word of God, reflects the mind of the Father and he reveals the Father to his people. That's why the author of Hebrews speaks of Christ this way by saying that long ago at many times and in various ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. 
He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. Likewise, may recall what our Lord prays at the end of his life in his high priestly prayer. He identifies himself with what John describes him here as God's revelation, as God's revealed word by saying, and this eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. For I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Being that Christ was eternally in the presence of the Father, seeing him face to face, delighting in the presence of the Father, Christ alone is able to reveal the Father to us. And that's what Christ has done. And that's what Christmas is all about, right? God revealing himself to sinners in the fullness of time. God revealed his love for us in the sending of his Son, who was and is and always will be the, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of the Father's nature. People of God, how ought this to affect our celebration of Christmas? What does it mean to people of God to know that this, the majestic Christ whom we celebrate at Christmas has been and always will be, that he is indeed the eternal word of God? It means, first of all, that you can rely on him in all things. You can rely on this Christ because he is the unchanging one, the eternal one. Second of all, if Jesus is indeed the true and living word who reveals the Father, then his coming into the world is the most important thing ever to have happened in the world. And there's nothing more important on the world than for us to have an ever-deepening relationship with him. There's nothing more important in all the world and that we should have an ever-deepening relationship with this Christ because his majesty not only reveals the mercy of the Father, but it also reveals the magnitude of our sin. Maybe that's not something we like to think about as much at Christmas, but it's true, isn't it? Isn't it the case that when we are confronted with the majesty of Christ and, and the mercy of God, that we are also confronted with the magnitude of our sin? Commenting on this very thing, J.C. Ryle writes, let us often read these first five verses of John's gospel. Let us mark what kind of being, what kind of redeemer of mankind must need be in order to provide eternal redemption for sinners. If no one less than the eternal God, the creator of the universe and preserver of all things could take away the sin of the world, then sin must be a far more abominable thing in the sight of God than men suppose. The right measure of sin's sinfulness, says Ryle, is the dignity of him who came into the world to save sinners. If Christ is so great, then sin must indeed be so very sinful. Congregation, if this is what was required to save us from our sins, if our sins demanded nothing less than the sacrifice of this, the majestic Christ of, of transcendent glory, 
And surely our sins in the last week were far worse than we imagined. If this is what we needed, this, the majestic Christ to, to die for sinners, then surely it's far worse than we imagine that we ignored the convicting work of the Spirit in our hearts, that we shrugged him off to the side, that we chose sin over service again and again. And yet by this majesty of Christ, we are also Reminded that although we are great sinners, and that we are, we have a greater Savior whose grace is indeed greater than all our sins. As Paul says, that even where our sins increase, grace abounded all the more. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This congregation is the majestic Christ of Christmas who, as we confess in Article 10 of the Belgian Confession, is true eternal God. He is the Almighty One, worthy of our worship, whose name we invoke and serve. And all things were made through Him. All things are made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. We notice that, secondly, this morning, John shows us Christ's majesty at the creation of the world. The majestic Christ of Christmas, we discover here in verse 3, is also the cosmic Christ of creation. Through him, says the author of Hebrews, God created the world, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The majestic Christ of Christmas is also the cosmic Christ of creation. He is the cosmic Christ of Colossians chapter 1 where where the Apostle Paul says, for by him all things were made in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And in him all things hold together. He is before all things. Astronomers have observed that there are approximately 100 billion stars in the average galaxy. Now there are perhaps 100 million galaxies in known space. And what John is telling us here is that Christ created them all. That star shining in the sky that, that the wise men followed after was placed there by the very one they were seeking. All things are made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All things created through him and for him. And in him all things hold together. Which is to say that not only did Christ create the macrocosm of the universe with its billions of stars and millions of galaxies, but also the, the microcosm of the inner universe of the smallest atom. And were it not for him and his sovereign control over all the universe, everything would entirely unravel and burst at the seams. But he upholds it all by the word of his power. In him all things hold together. And this congregation is the majestic Christ of Christmas. How should this affect our celebration of Christmas? To see that he is the the majestic Christ who is there at the creation of the world, who, through whom all things were made. Well, this too means that we should trust in him with all that we have and all that we are. 
If all things were made through him, without him nothing was made that was made, then he must know exactly what we need and when we need it. And if Christ is not indifferent to hold together the stars in the sky, if he is not indifferent to to hold together the, the inner universe of the smallest atom, then surely he is not indifferent towards you either. Do you believe that this morning? Is that your hope and your joy this Christmas season? That you not have an indifferent Savior, an indifferent Creator God? Is that your confidence as you ready your hearts to to come to the table? That you come to commune with a Christ who is not indifferent towards His people? that he cares for us far more than words can even define. Do you trust him? Have you entrusted your life to this Christ, all that you have and all that you are, to this, the, the majestic Christ of Christmas? If Christ created our bodies, congregation, is he not able to take care of our bodies? If Christ created our souls, is he not able to, to save our souls? If Christ created our hearts and if he made our minds, is he not able to to meet us where we are in our heartbreak, in our depression and anxieties? I tell you this morning, people of God, he surely is. He is able to do that. He is able to do that not only because he is God's divine agent of creation, but also because he is God's divine agent of recreation. That's the last thing we see this morning. That John shows us that Christ is not only his majesty seen in creation, but also in recreation as this light shines in the darkness. Although John seems to have creation in in the background when, when God said, let there be light and there was light, he seems to have recreation in the foreground with a view to the work of Christ, his redeeming work saying, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Throughout the rest of John's gospel, death and life, darkness and light are pitted against each other. They are often in constant contrast. And darkness becomes synonymous in John's gospel with all that is hostile to God, all that is hostile to the will of God. We're going to turn over a couple of pages to John chapter 3, verse 19. Our Lord Jesus says, And this is the judgment that, that light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Later on in the first chapter of his first epistle, John goes on to say that this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. For the majestic Christ of Christmas has entered our world of darkness to shine so brightly 
that no one in all the world, the world itself, cannot comprehend it, cannot overcome it. This light of the majestic Christ of Christmas began to, to flicker and shine already in, in that mother promise in Genesis 3.15 where God promised to, to place that wedge between the children of light and the children of darkness. And that one day, the, the greater son of the light would crush the seed of the serpent and all his dark domain. That light shined brightly in the Lamb of Passover and all the the sacrifice of the Old Testament, they pointed Israel forward to the, to the coming grace of God and His Son. And finally, the light came to fulfillment of promise. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, light of light, very God of very God, was made man. That light will never burn out. And so, boys and girls, we are reminded this morning, aren't we, that there is a far more marvelous light than the light shining on your Christmas trees. There is a far more comforting light than the night lights on your bedroom walls. There's a far warmer light even than the sun that melted away the snow on your driveways. And John tells that light is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is the light that enables us, boys and girls, to believe the, the best news that ever has been or ever will be, the good news of the gospel. And because Jesus is the light, because he is the eternal, illuminating word and wisdom of God, those who believe, even you boys and girls, know far more about this world and the universe and the way things are than the smartest scientist in all the world who does not believe in God. Because this marvelous, transforming light, it shines in our own hearts this morning. To quote again the words of the Apostle Paul, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown the light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that shapes our celebration at Christmas, doesn't it? When we think about how Jesus has shown the light of the gospel into our hearts to believe in God, to find salvation in him, and this Christmas he ought to be our most prized possession, shouldn't he? He is indeed the greatest gift far greater, boys and girls, than any of the presents under your tree. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the book of Revelation, John is, is given a glimpse of the new creation, the new Jerusalem, and he, and he describes it this way, saying it is a glorious city who has no need of sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus is the enduring light, the enduring lamp of God, the lamp of David whom God had said, I will never allow the lamp to burn out in Jerusalem, is still shining. And God invites us this morning, congregation, he warmly summons us with, with overtures of grace to to walk in this glorious light here and now. To recognize that although Christ has been refused and forgotten by many, 
And although there are many this Christmas season who will sadly fail to comprehend, who will not see his glory, that it ought never to be said of us, that it should never be said of us that we overlook the majestic Christ of Christmas. For Christ alone is the life giving light in a dark world. The light shines in the darkness and it shines continually, which means that the majestic light of Christ is, is constantly, always bombarding every corner of darkness in your hearts, chasing away the darkness at all times. So that what Isaiah said many, many years ago might be fulfilled in our own hearing today as Christ, the light of the world, speaks to us in his word. The people who once walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, in a land of shadow and death, on them a light has shone, Isaiah 9, verse 2. And so J.C. Ryle says again, let us mark, let us mark that the Savior in whom the believer is bid to trust is nothing less than the eternal God, able to save to the uttermost all that come to the Father by him. For he that was with God and that was God was not is also Emmanuel, God with us. And let us give thanks, he says, to our God that our help is laid on one that is mighty. For in ourselves we are great sinners, but Jesus Christ, in him we have a greater Savior. And we're granted the gracious and sincere invitation to, to commune with him this morning. And so as we come forward to the table of our Lord, as we lift up our hearts on high to, to receive from him grace and abundance, may we consider that he is indeed the majestic Christ of Christmas, who though clothed in transcendent glory, came down from heaven for sinners, even for you and for me. And as we come, may we echo those words of the 24 elders in Revelation 4 who, who casting their crowns before his throne, began to say, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have indeed created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. To him be all our glory and all our praise this Christmas, but also all the days of our life. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your grace you've revealed to us the majestic Christ of Christmas. That we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be warmed by the light that shines forth from him. We pray, Lord, that this Christmas season we would be overwhelmed by the majesty of Christ. That those of us who are old as well as those of us who are young would regard him indeed as the greatest gift you have ever given. That our salvation has been found in him, that we can rely on him and trust in him with all that we have and all that we are that we can lean on him because he is unchanging and unfailing, that we can trust him with all our needs because he is our creator, 
Father Paul said that all things were created through him and for him. And so, Father, we pray that in all things we would indeed live for him, this cosmic Christ of creation, that our giving and our receiving this Christmas season be done to his name's honor and glory, recognizing all things made by him and for him. Father, we pray for our world and the darkness that overwhelms so much of it. Father, we thank that a light has shone upon us, that the light, the light of the gospel has shone in our hearts, that the darkness of the world cannot overcome it. Even if we feel as though the flame of our faith is burning very low, Christ is a gracious Savior who has not only brought us in, but will surely keep us in. Father, help us to be this light of the world. Help us this Christmas season, the coming weeks, to be the light of the world to our neighbors, to those around us. To draw them to the majestic Christ of Christmas, the Lord of glory. that They might see him for who he really is. Very God of very God, light of light, the light of the world. Give us grace as we come to the table, Lord, to come in faith resting in your merit, the merit of Christ, and not in our own. Seeing not only the magnitude of our sin, but also the magnitude of our salvation, the majesty of our Savior. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand to sing 311.